Welcome to another episode of the Little Dudes Insect Academy podcast, and I'm super excited to be here at the ESA conference in Denver, Colorado, and I'm here with another guest, uh, Rachel Neff, and I can't wait to get started, so welcome to the show, Rachel. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to do this. All right, so shall we just jump right into yeah, it? Yeah, let's get into it. All right, so uh, how many ESA conferences have you been to? So I've been to one in person in 2019 in St. Louis, but I wasn't presenting research or anything. I was just hanging out, enjoying the conference, and then last year I attended virtually because of the pandemic, but it was still a good experience. Very good. All right, so uh, let's just get right into it. So how long have you been interested in entomology? So not super long. Growing up as a kid, I wasn't super into insects. Mm -hmm. I definitely had a passion for nature and the outdoors in general, but insects didn't necessarily pique my interest specifically. Um, So it probably wasn't until college that I got interested in them. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually started college on a more like pre-health track. I knew that I was interested in biology, but I didn't think that there was necessarily a possibility of having a career studying the natural world. Mm. Um, But my freshman year biology professor was actually an entomologist, and she was just so passionate about insects and really shared her passion for them with us. And it was just like such an infectious enthusiasm that she had. Mm. Um, And so I was like, hmm, that's an interesting career. Like, I really like the outdoors. Um, Maybe I'll talk to her about taking her entomology class. So I then took that entomology class, and for the class we had to create a collection of a bunch of different insect taxa, a bunch of different groups of insects. And um, I basically spent the summer before the class just collecting tons of insects. I was actually working at a nature center. And so I kind of got to multitask like while doing the job that I was paid for, like also be collecting insects for my collection. And I just had like such a fun time identifying them and learning of like the cool things about each different species. So that's awesome. Yeah, that's how it began. Very cool. All right. So uh, that's a little bit of uh, kind of an overview, but um, we'll get into each of those things cool in a minute but um first i wanted to go over more of your um your schooling so what was your schooling like in um in middle school and high school Mm -hmm. and did you did you start to be interested in bugs at all or was it just until you got to was it just at when you got to college it was mainly just in college yeah in middle school and high school i mean i took a lot of just like general biology courses and found those really fascinating but it wasn't until college that i even knew what entomology was i didn't Mm -hmm. know this was a specific discipline um i didn't really even know like organismal biology was an option for a career like doing Mm -hmm. research in an academic setting yeah um so yeah it really wasn't until college yeah, that I got into them. Hmm. Okay, yeah. very cool. Um, yeah, so now on to your uh, college mm-hmm. career. Um, where are you in that process, yes. and what did you study for your uh, undergrad? Cool. So I went to Xavier University. It's a pretty small school in Cincinnati, Ohio, of only okay. about 4,000 people. The biology department is pretty small. There's only about 10 professors in the mm-hmm. whole department. Mm-hmm. And in that department, there were two entomologists. Okay. So there was the one entomologist that I took my freshman near biology class with and she studied longhorn beetles um, specifically chemical communication in those beetles Mm. and mating behavior okay 
and the other entomologist studied aquatic insects and used aquatic insects as something called bioindicators to assess stream health. Okay. So basically, aquatic insects have like different levels of tolerance to pollution. Hmm. Um, and so depending on what kind of insect communities are present in like a stream or some kind of watershed, um, you can figure out how healthy that watershed is. Hmm. And so I chose to work with that second entomologist um, studying aquatic insects. And so for, or let's see, it was starting my junior year of college, so my third year of college. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I started doing research with her, and I was basically spending tons of time identifying larval aquatic insects. Um, okay. And yeah, just spending time looking at a microscope, digging through these aquatic samples that we collected um, in streams. We spent a lot of time doing field work, just out there with nets, um, yeah, just collecting bugs. It was really fun. And I worked on that project for two years. Um, I also spent a summer doing research at the Field Museum in Chicago, mm. um, which was a really cool experience. It's a really huge natural history museum, so I got to get exposed to like tons of different really cool scientists working on all different That's types awesome. of organisms. Yeah. Um, and in Chicago that summer I spent, yeah, the summer working on aquatic beetles, which are what I research now. So that summer I was researching riffle beetles, um, which are in the family Elmidae, and I was studying ones from New Zealand, looking at um, their wing morphology hmm. um, and how that might inf like affect their dispersal behaviors, which is basically moving from one place to another, and looking at how that just might affect their evolutionary patterns overall. That's awesome. It was a fun time. Yeah. And now I am a master's student in a lab um, at the University of Kansas. My advisor is named Andrew Short, and we study a different group of aquatic beetles called hydrophilids or water scavenger beetles. Very cool. Okay. Yeah. So how far are you with that so far? Yeah. So I'm in my final year of my master's. I'll be finishing in the spring. So I'm kind of in the middle of like writing all of these academic papers. Wow. That's awesome. Um, writing my master's thesis. Wow. Um, yeah. It's definitely a little bit stressful, but yeah. I'm excited. Sounds I'm like excited it, yeah. to be done. But yeah. And then, yeah. So it's a fun time. That's pretty awesome. Okay. Yep. So uh, I, I do want to dive into that yeah. uh, research that you've definitely. done. Definitely. Um, so first of all, with the, the aquatic beetles, mm -hmm. um, what specifically have you been working with with that? For sure. Definitely. So our lab's research focuses on elucidating like the vast diversity and evolutionary relationships mm -hmm. of aquatic beetles and specifically we focus on aquatic beetles from South America. Mm -hmm. And so one of the primary goals of my lab's work is to discover species new to science. So. Um, one of my previous lab mates, she was actually an undergrad at the time, recently discovered 18 new beetle species. Oh my goodness. In just like one scientific paper, it was wow. so many new ones. They're just not very well studied. Yeah. So it's not super hard to find new species. Um, like my advisor has discovered like 150 new species. Oh my gosh. So okay. he's done a lot. Um, that work, that work of describing new species is something called alpha taxonomy, um, but it's only like one puzzle piece of the work that we do in our yeah, lab. Yeah. Um, another big component is constructing something called phylogenies, which are evolutionary trees. Okay. And we do that by analyzing the DNA and the morphological or like physical features of the beetles hmm. um, to better understand like patterns of relatedness between them and okay. like the lines of descent through evolutionary time. 
Interesting. Um, so yeah, creating these evolutionary trees then asks or allows us to ask a bunch of interesting questions, like when beetles first transitioned to aquatic life, mm. like how many times has this transition happened across the phylogeny of beetles, what like adaptations have allowed beetles to adapt to aquatic life, um, things like that. We also um, think a lot about something called historical biogeography, okay. which is basically the study of where organisms are distributed on the planet and how they got there. So we're thinking about things um, like how the geology or climatological changes, mm. um, like the changes in long-term weather, pat- weather patterns, have affected beetle evolution and distributions. We might ask questions like, why are certain beetle species found throughout like the entire Amazon rainforest while other species are found found only on like one hilltop Um, or like how did the breakup of South America and Africa affect the beetle evolution Um, so we're kind of thinking about these questions across like deep evolutionary time so it's it's a really fun lab yeah because I mean people would just figure oh water's everywhere right right so you would just think that there would be I mean pretty similar species between Mm -hmm. the whole world because right water doesn't like right um kind of the only variable is you know fresh water or salt water obviously Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and then temperature right right I mean there's lots of things temperature pH um so how acidic or basic the water is that can affect what insects might live there um salinity like how much salt is in the water yeah what kind of plants like live on the shores of streams or rivers will affect what kind of beetles are there mm-hmm. um like the altitude or the elevation there's like tons of different things that can affect diversity and like there is a huge diversity of aquatic insects like yeah, yeah. i mean within for beetles there's like 12 or 13,000 species of aquatic beetles. Wow. Yeah, there's lots of them. That's awesome. And the family that I study has like 3,000 species, so there's definitely a big diversity of them. That's really cool. Yeah, so there's you, lots of them. So you study a whole, a whole family or? So I study one specific genus. Okay. Um, I study a genus called Chasmogenus that is in the family of beetles called hydrophilids, which are the water scavenger beetles. And Chasmogenus are distributed just in South America from Venezuela down to northern Argentina. There's about 37 and counting described species. There's definitely still more. I'm going to describe like two or three new species um, in a paper that I'll probably write in the spring. Um, And yeah, they're really cool. Most of them live in forest environments, in like ponds, streams. Some of them live in habitats called seepages, which is basically just like raw rock faces that don't have any vegetation on them, that have water flowing over them. Yeah. Um, There's one species that lives in like savanna type ecosystems, and they're really interesting because they're super widespread, like from, yeah, the very top of South America and Venezuela down to northern Argentina, and there's like hardly any genetic divergence across their range. Like they're all super closely related to each other because savanna species basically occupy this more like geologically ephemeral type of habitat. Like savannas are not as stable across geological time as forest ecosystems. They're kind of more constantly 
like being created and going away. And okay. so the Beatles have to be able to like disperse between the savannas um, a lot. And that creates a lot of flow in like genes, like a lot of gene flow um, between different populations of the Beatles. So like they have this huge distribution, but they're all really close related to each other because they're constantly just moving between these different savanna areas. So yeah, that was kind of a long explanation, but yeah, it's a genus called Chasmogenus. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. So, so does Chasmogenus, uh, can, can they leave the water at all? Cause I know there's some, uh, water, water beetles that mm-hmm. can, uh, leave and enter the water. Right. Um, so I was just wondering if that's included in hydrophilids uh-huh. at all or if that's a completely different thing. Yeah, great question. So hydrophilids are definitely not like exclusively aquatic while a lot of them do live in the water or kind of like on the shore um, of different water features. There's ones that are like completely terrestrial and live in like fruit. Um, some live in flowers, some live in bat poop, like bat guano. <laughs> um, there's other ones that live in something called phytotelmata, which are like pools found in plants. Like if you heard of a pitcher plant, yeah. there'll be like a pitch, like a pool a of water in it. Yeah. Bromeliads, exactly. Yeah. They live in bromeliads. Yeah. Um, so yeah, not all of them are fully aquatic. And yeah, within Chasmogenus, um, I mean, yeah, they're definitely not always in the water. Like not all the time. They kind so of they're not be, like fish. Or they'll no, they're not. Which like some aquatic beetles are like that. Will mm-hmm. live exclusively underwater for like Got almost it. their entire life. Um, but yeah, hydrophilids or Chasmogenus kind of like move between the water and like the shore and like when they're dispersing, like moving to a different place, they'll fly there. So hmm. yeah. Wow, that's really cool. So mm-hmm. some of them can go in water, mm-hmm. land, and fly. Right. Wow, right. that's really cool. Yeah, yeah. But then there's other aquatic beetles, like the ones that I studied um, at the Field Museum in Chicago, the riffle beetles. Yeah. Certain riffle beetles will go underwater and then not come back up for air for like literally five years, like their entire lifespan. Um, wow. Yeah, okay. it's pretty crazy. They basically use something kind of like a scuba tank um, mm. on their bellies. The scientific name for it is a plastron. Basically, they have these water-repelling or hydrophobic hairs on mm. the ventral side of their bodies, like the belly. And this creates a bubble of air, and oxygen just passively diffuses in and out of that bubble based on different concentrations between the inside of the bubble and the outside of the bubble. So the inside of the bubble and the water. Okay. And so like as the beetles use up that oxygen, the pressure decreases within the bubble and oxygen from the water will move into it. So they just like don't have to come up for air. That's really cool. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Interesting. So have you gone, you've been to South America to do this research then, Uh right? Yep, okay. just one time. Um, it was actually right before the pandemic. It was an interesting time. I went from, like, February 28th until March 14th. And I don't know if you remember, the pandemic kind of started, like, yeah. March, March, like, I don't remember 10th that. to 15th. Like, it was, like, that week when everything started getting crazy. Yeah. So we were in a country called French Guiana, which yeah. is a small country just northeast of Brazil. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, we were out there just, like, in the middle of this tropical forest. Didn't really know what was going on in the world, you know, re- regarding, like, coronavirus in the u.s and so limited service and all that yeah exactly we didn't really have wi-fi or anything um and so it was one of the days at the end of the trip we like got back into the town that was kind of like our base camp and we finally got like some kind of connection and i got a text like from ku just like an automated text saying like spring break is extended by a week and i was like what like what's going on Hmm. because we were just missing the entire like growth of coronavirus in the u.s um And so we were just like super confused and then things just started getting crazy. Like 
we were there until March 14th, and I think on midnight of March 14th, there was like a travel ban from French Guiana into the U.S., and so we were like worried about that, but we were fine, so we got back. Um, but yeah, awesome. the actual field work was a super super cool experience too. Wow. I'd never been to any kind of like tropical forest environment, so that was awesome. I got to see like monkeys and sloths and yep. these cool, they're kind of like Shih Tzu sized guinea pigs. They're called agoutis. Yep. They're just yep. like these really cute, fluffy little guys. Yep. Um, and then, yeah, the actual collection of aquatic beetles was awesome. It's just kind of like a little treasure hunt looking for the beetles. You just have like, yeah, nets are kind of um, like these sieves like that you use to um, strain tea with. We'll just use those and just go scoop beetles out of the water. That's cool. um, and it was just, yeah, beautiful and so much fun. So, so um, I, I've heard of these beetles that I don't know if these are the ones that uh, oh yeah, that's what they're called. Uh, whirligig beetles. Yeah, They've whirligig got beetles. Eyes on the bottom and they on the top. They do. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Those they have these really horizontally cool. divided eyes. One of my lab um, previous lab members, his name is Greg Gustafson. He's like one of the world experts on whirligig beetles. And yeah, yeah it's really cool. They've got these divided eyes. Um, it's an adaptation to aquatic life that allows them to see on both the like above the water, above the surface of the water, and below the surface of the water. Yeah, so, yeah. those are really. They cool. are cool. Yeah, they just zoom around, like yeah. skidding on the surface. Yeah, I've of seen the water. those. Those are really cool. Yeah, they are neat. Yeah. Um. So, what? Um. Yeah. So you've worked a lot with the water beetles, mm-hmm. and um, is there any other like interest that you've had outside of that or inside of that, or what do you want to take? Where do you want to take your yeah your research for about? sure? So I know this is kind of taboo at this conference. It's kind of controversial, yeah. but I'm not like only interested in insects. Um, I don't know. I like all wildlife, yeah. all different organisms, but kind of what unites my passion is evolution. So I okay. really want to be an evolutionary biologist. Yeah. Um, whether I study, you know, bugs, plants, birds, it doesn't really matter to me. Um, but I'm really just like interested in evolutionary processes and patterns and how biodiversity has been generated across this planet. You know, like how do we get this like vast array of like of just like this vast array, abundant um, distribution of like incredible life forms um, throughout the earth. Um, I don't know, I've taken certain classes at KU, like genome biology and population genetics that have also really gotten me interested in like molecular work. Okay. So I might want to continue um, doing some kind of genetic work for a PhD, but I'm not really sure exactly what I want to study yet. I just know that I really love evolution and want to continue to work on that. Um, I also have a big passion for education and outreach. So no matter what I do, I always want to make sure that I'm prioritizing, like sharing my love of science with others. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. All right. So um, let's move on to one of the other topics I wanted to cover. Um, And that is, uh, do you have any other uh, like big inspirational uh, people in your lives sure. that kind of inspired you to do what you do. Uh huh. So I wouldn't say that I necessarily have like one single person that's yeah. like a major inspiration for me, but my biggest inspirations would probably just be like all of my friends, like the yeah. ones that I did that summer research experience at the Field Museum with, or my graduate student friends at KU. They're all just like the most incredibly curious people and have such an insatiable thirst for knowledge about how evolution works and like yeah. such a strong appreciation 
appreciation for nature. Um, we've spent like so many nights having the most interesting conversations about evolution and biology in general, and they really keep my passion alive. I've also watched them all continue to do really incredible work throughout the pandemic and yeah. achieve all these huge accomplishments. So that's definitely been inspiring to me too. So definitely just all of my friends, all of my colleagues, yeah, are constantly inspiring me. Very cool. Yeah, and uh, one thing I wanted to ask is mm -hmm. you mentioned two new species that you mm -hmm. discovered or are describing? Or yeah. So I haven't started working on that project yet, um, but when we were in French Guiana, um, we did collect a couple species that we think might be undiscovered to science. Um, so I'll spend time next semester describing them, basically describing their morphology or their physical characteristics, giving them names um, so that people can start, you know, identifying these beetles and knowing that's what they awesome. are. Yeah. yeah, that's pretty awesome. So, so, so did you take a lot of pictures of them or how did you not yet i haven't i haven't even started the project at all okay. so i really haven't done anything for it yet but yeah, so i will yeah do you have to go back then or did you collect so no we did we already collected them okay. so we just have them like in vials and some of them are pinned in drawers and we just have Got to actually it. start like taking pictures analyzing their morphology with beetles it's really important to look at their genitalia their you yeah. know reproductive structures because mm -hmm. that allows us to differentiate between different species yeah when the rest of the beetle is like the, re the rest of the beetles look super similar to each other mm. like sometimes it's really just their genitalia that yeah. you can use to uh, like diagnose what species they interesting. are interesting okay yeah wow that's i had no idea yeah I thought, I thought for some some somehow there would be always um mm -hmm signs on the outside right? yeah sometimes there are but like just the group that i study is just super morphologically cryptic and so there's not always like other and they're traits. really small too, they are right? super small yeah. yeah they're like a millimeter so wow okay. yeah they're very little <laughs> yeah, yeah really small yeah okay um yeah so um this can be related to entomology or not mm -hmm. um but do you have any hobbies that you mm -hmm. enjoy to get away sure. from school or work or yeah, anything like definitely. that? Definitely. So I really love to sing and I was involved in a theater in high school um, and choir. I did like acapella in college. Okay. I've actually been in like a couple little bands with my friends. That's um, cool. In undergrad, some of my best friends were my lab mates. We called ourselves the Bug Squad. <laughs> and we were actually like at an academic conference kind of similar to this one. It was called the Midwest Ecology and Evolution Conference. And we just like spontaneously we're just talking we're like we should form a band and so we did that and we just okay. spent like lots of nights in college playing music together talking that's about awesome. science like we kind of just all had those two interests in common that's cool um, additionally I like to just spend lots of time like hiking in nature um, I like to cook I'm kind of into fashion as a creative outlet I also like to watch movies go dancing with my friends at KU yeah. stuff like that so very cool yeah um, yeah, so uh, we talked about this really briefly, mm -hmm. but uh, what are your plans for the future? Like, yeah. uh, are you looking at other programs once you graduate mm -hmm. at all? Um, any more research that you want to do uh -huh. moving forward? Any other trips? Right. Anything like that? Good question. It's a good question that I'm still asking myself, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's okay if you don't really know yet. Uh -huh. but, yeah. So right now, so I'm finishing my master's this year, mm -hmm. and I kind of had to make the decision whether I wanted to apply for PhD programs this fall or wait an additional, an additional year. And yeah. at this point, I think I'm going to wait an additional year because I do kind of want to switch more into the realm of studying genetics. Okay. Um, um, and so I kind of want to get another year or two of experience working in a more genetics-focused lab before I do a PhD. 
Um, yeah. But eventually I do think I'll probably do a PhD in something like evolutionary genetics focused. Okay. Um, and then either become like a professor or maybe go into industry. I'm not sure exactly where it'll lead me, but Very cool. just, I really just want to continue studying evolution. So. All right. Yeah. yeah that's a good answer. All mm-hmm. right. Um, yeah. So lastly, uh, where can the viewers go to follow the work that you're doing? Sure. Um, social media or a website or something yes. and if you don't have those then um, maybe your school mm-hmm. uh, your school um, information where they can also follow mm-hmm. your work there yeah so I am on Twitter um, it is Rachel underscore N underscore 19 okay. so you can find me there I post about my work there sometimes and just All other right. things that are going on in the science world um, I'm also on Facebook if you just search me Rachel Neff probably like search University of Kansas you'll find me um, okay. yeah I'd love to connect with anyone who wants to learn about insects or evolution anything like that all right awesome thank you so much for being on the show rachel for sure i've had a great time talk with you yeah Yeah. it's been really fun yeah it was really fun all right thank you thank you you so much